On today's Locked on Jayhawks, deep dive into Primo Spears, who's supposed to be doing a visit with KU. What could he add to the team? What could he bring to the team? Would it be a good fit for KU? Let's discuss. You are Locked on Jayhawks, your daily podcast on the Kansas Jayhawks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Eric Johnson, you can hear me as well, Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on KLWN in Lawrence with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thanks for making Locked on Jayhawks your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get any of your podcasts. You can also find Locked on Jayhawks on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the show and give us a little thumbs up if you could. On today's edition of Locked on Jayhawks, we're going to be doing a deep dive into Primo Spears, the transfer from Georgetown, started his career at Duquesne, went to Georgetown. Now he's entering the portal again after Patrick Ewing was fired from the Georgetown position, and he's into the portal. Now, I'm recording this on Monday. It's supposed to come out on Tuesday. Last time I did this with a deep dive where there was supposed to be a player visit the next day it was Harrison Ingram. I guess I think I did it with Hunter Dickinson, too, and that one ended up okay, although I think his flight got delayed. Uh, but the time before uh, was with Hunter with Harrison Ingram, and we did it for Sunday, released it on Monday. He was supposed to visit, and then it got pushed back to like the following Thursday. And then I guess he ended up coming to North Carolina. So um, he's supposed to be visiting starting on Tuesday, I believe, but could get pushed back. Something could happen. We'll see. Either way, we're going to do the deep dive just in case it does happen. And because it has been a name you've heard a lot of with KU. You heard a quote from Primo Spears where he said, that the staff is really interested in me and, and coming into the backcourt and what I can provide as a winning player. And that's certainly an interesting comment because Georgetown was in the 200s on Ken Palm. Duquesne the year before wasn't very good for him either, but they think that he can impact winning for this team in a better situation. So where things seem to be at right now, and then we'll get to the uh, strengths and weaknesses and then the kind of final verdict on how he'd win everything. Uh, the visit does seem to be scheduled for Tuesday. Uh, his finalist list was originally Arkansas, Florida State, TCU, and Kansas. Since then, he has added Mississippi State to that list. Um, Arkansas has taken a billion transfers and guards. Now, I do think Arkansas approaches it as like, we don't care. I know we might have told you that you're going to come in and get all this playing time. We don't care. We're going to keep recruiting into the transfer portal, and we're going to let whatever competition works out work out, and then – you know, if you transfer after the next season, like whatever. So I, uh, I I guess it doesn't preclude Arkansas, but I feel like it would probably preclude Primo Spears if he sees what's happening and Arkansas bringing on all these guards and being like, well, maybe that's not the spot for me. They have all these other guys. Florida State would make a lot of sense. They're looking for more talent. Boom. TCU was already brought in. I think they just brought in another guard over the weekend, which would be their third guard via the transfer portal. They at least already have two. They're still waiting on the decision with what's going to happen with Damian Baugh. Um, and then... Uh, with Kansas, this, you know, the list you could easily point to, I don't know enough about Mississippi state, but, uh, you could easily point to it and be like, well, Kansas is clearly the best school among all these lists. And also on top of that, you have, um, maybe some reasons not that he wouldn't pick these other schools that it feels like there's a lot of dots you could connect to Kansas there, but would Kansas really take him? Because it's, it's difficult to figure out for Kansas what the eligibility is going to be because of the fact that he was at Duquesne to start 
transferred to Georgetown. This becomes his second transfer. He's not a graduate player, so he doesn't get that. He would have to get a waiver to be immediately eligible. And because the NCAA said they're not going to be just giving out those waivers, if your coach gets fired, that kind of precludes him. So maybe there is some way that he can get a waiver, right? If there is something in the exceptions list that he can apply to, maybe Kansas knows about that. Maybe he knows about that. That could be something of interest. It's just tough. You know, if, if this was a normal year where Kansas had 13 scholarships, you could still get on board with being like, oh, we'll take him. We'll let him sit in the program for a year, let him develop, and then he'll be an even better player by the time he comes around and he's eligible. But because you only have 12 scholarships to begin with, it becomes a difficult situation of do we just avoid any players who would have to sit out here because we basically already are having to eat that scholarship and it'd be tough to play with 11 scholarship players. It's also interesting, like, what is the level of, of interest from KU? Is he an auto take if he wants to come to KU, where if he says, yeah, I'm committing, then KU says, yes, let's do it. I don't necessarily get the sense that's the case. Or is he a backup option based on if X happens for KU, we have the scholarship open, sure, we'll take a risk with it. What would that X have to be? What would that have to be happening for that to happen? Is it related to... Is he a backup option to Artario Morris? Is Artario Morris a backup option to somebody else? I, I don't know. Is he a backup option to, well, we couldn't use this scholarship on a wing like Harrison Ingram, so now we're going to go to him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where that lies in the pecking order here for Primo Spears. I do think part of this visit isn't just about uh, KU selling themselves. It's about him selling himself to KU about why he would be a good fit and if he could get that waiver to be immediately eligible. Uh, could it also be a, a relative decision in relation to what Cal Cuff's going to do, right? I mean, you have three guards right now with Dewan Harris, El Marco Jackson, and Nicholas Timberlake. Is Primo Spears' decision dependent on Kyle Cuff to wear that kind of fourth guard, other combo guard type? If you have Kyle Cuff on the roster, no reason to bring on Primo Spears. But if Kyle Cuff transfers, then you have that extra open scholarship. Maybe then you bring on a guy like Primo Spears, right? It could be based on a lot of different things, whether this ends up materializing or not. And then again, it all circles back to the one big one. What is the case for him being immediately eligible? Because that is a, a very big crux in all of this. And it'll be interesting to see how the visit goes for that reason. I do want to get into his strengths and weaknesses because he's a very polarizing player right now among KU fans. So let's get into that next. First, though, this episode of Locked Docs is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Grand slams, no hitters, double plays are back, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. What's great about, you know, here in Kansas on FanDuel, I don't know if this is, you know, nationwide or just a local thing, they do dinger Tuesdays that you can uh, place a $25 bet. You have to opt in, read all the details, make sure you're, you know, applying and qualifying and everything. But on somebody to hit a home run, and then you get $5 in bonus bets for every home run that is hit in that game. So if your player hits a home run and they're 4-1, to one, you're already winning your 100 bucks. You know, and then you're getting a five dollar additional bonus back because they hit a home run. Let's say two other guys hit a home run. Not only did you win your hundred bucks, you get fifteen dollars in bonus bets. Let's say your guy doesn't hit a home run, but there's four home runs hitting that game. Well, at least you got twenty dollars back in bonus bets. You can do that on Tuesdays. Great deal. So don't miss your chance to get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. 
All right, on to the scouting report for Primo Spears. Uh, let's start with his strengths. So you're talking about real production at a power level. Uh, the Big East is, I guess, you know, in football, we say power five. It's like power six in college basketball. And then there's like that next tier that's close, whether it's like a, I don't know, Atlantic 10 or Conference USA. But the Big East becomes into like it joins the, the, the power five, becomes a big six in college basketball. Um, the Big East was probably the second best conference in the country last year, right? It was Big 12-1. Big East was probably two. So he had real production in a difficult conference with the team that ended up winning the national championship in UConn. He averaged 16 points per game over five assists per game in that legit conference. And he had some really high-level games where you saw the peak play of what Primo Spears did. 26 points on 10 of 19 shootings, above 50% against Providence. That was obviously a tournament team. 21 points on 9 of 17, again, above 50% against Creighton, which was an Elite 8 team. How about this one? 37 points and 11 assists on 15 of 31 against Xavier. So nearly 50%, 37 and 11 against the Sweet 16 team. There were some high-level games from Primo Spears. And I think you look back and, and you say it's the potential here. Like it's added on to the strength. It is the potential because he would have two years left of play. I guess if he's sitting the year, three years in your program. So we'll see again where that goes. But at the very least, you have two years left to play. He showed real improvement. I mean, you're talking about a guy who went from good production at Duquesne to even better production at Georgetown. So not only did he go up a level, but his play got better. Now, the efficiency didn't really jump or anything, but the totals did. So clearly he got better from year one to year two. Why would he not get better from year two to year three? Plus you have some of those highlight games. He just had inconsistencies. He had some bad games. He had some of those big games. And to me, one thing that I look at, like a lot of times what players most improve on over the years that they stay in college basketball, it is consistency. It's consistency. It's like three point shooting. You'll see guys go 30%, 33 to 37. And part of that three point shooting getting better is consistency. A lot of the things that you get better as you get older is consistency. So he's shown the high potential high games. If he's more consistent with it becomes more interesting. Another strength here is he shot well on free throws, 79 and a half percent from the free throw line. So nearly 80%. That's a good thing. Uh, also you hear from scouts all the time that good free throw shooting shows good touch and that it can relate to, um, you know, showing that you have more potential or improvement to be had at the three point line. So maybe he can improve that three point shooting that right now has been a little bit inefficient. He's also a good isolation score. Um, he ran ISO at one of the highest rates in the country, 99th percentile. That's not going to happen at Kansas. That number would go way down for him at KU. He would be less ball dominant. He would be less relied upon to do just that. And there's two ways of looking at that. One is that he's a player who runs ISO too much, which that would be, you don't want that happening because then it's, uh, you know, putting the offense in the mud. But the other side of it could just be, well, Georgetown wasn't a very good team and they didn't really have the best coach in the world. You know, maybe he maybe it was one of those things where they just like, that was just what their offense was. You know what I mean? Like it was like, Hey, keep running ISO. And you don't know if it's the player or if it's the coaching staff there, but you would figure K you would reel him in there. But what's interesting though, is that um, regardless of the, the volume, this is no impact on volume, just in terms of the efficiency at it. Spears ranked in the 68th percentile, which is listed as very good on synergy in isolation settings. So it's a, it's a good isolation player. And even though he wouldn't be doing it nearly as much as Kansas, what was one of the issues last year? Not just the shooting of last year's team. It was having enough guys who could create 
in late shot clock uh, situations where they could create their own shot in an isolation type setting and make a shot. He would be able to do that for you. So those are all good things that, yes, if you could take that out of him a little, that he's not doing it too much to, you know, make Bill Self pull him and give him headaches because he's not running play and he's running ISO. But if you can harness that, like you did with Remy Martin, there's potential there. Now, Remy was a lot more efficient coming in than what Primo Spears has been in his time at, at Georgetown and Duquesne. But that's the type of like archetype of player that you'd kind of be looking for there, even though, again, he's not nearly as good as, as Remy was coming in. Uh, he's also strengthier spot-up shooting, 63rd percentile, so above average, good kind of rating. He was 12 of 34 on spot-up shots from three-point range, which is 35.3%. So if he's going to be doing less on the ball because you have Dewan Harris and he wouldn't be running as much of the point guard, he would be asked to do a little bit more spot-up shooting than he had to do at Georgetown. A little more spot-up shooting, a little less isolation. He actually shot pretty well on spot-up shooting, better than the percentage would indicate just overall for him. He's also 6'3". I think that goes into strength here. Um, if you're going to be a guard-oriented lineup, let's say without Harrison Ingram, you're going to, you know, this next year, instead of being one guard and three wings or, you know, two guard and two wings, what if they're going to play a lot of lineups with three guards and just one wing because of what the roster allows them to do with, you know, playing some Nick Timberlake at the three, playing some on Marco at the two? Well, you need another guard in that situation, but they'd have to have good height to where they could play the two and you wouldn't feel super undersized one through three. And Primo Spears at six three does provide that at the very least for you. I do have uh, one before I get to the weaknesses, like kind of in limbo, neither strength nor weakness. That would be his defense. Uh, he was in the 54th percentile, so above average slightly in man defense on synergy, but he was just in the 44th percentile, so below average in overall defense. So he's basically like an average defender. Now, this is another one of those things you can convince yourself two things. One, it's very hard to be a really good defender when you are asked to carry the entire load on offense, which he was basically able to do it lessens your impact and energy on the defensive end of the court. Maybe because he would be a secondary tertiary option on Kansas, you know, fourth, fifth option on the floor. He would be able to devote more energy to the defensive side of the ball. And that defense could get better. Again, he is six, three is an athletic guard. And obviously, you know, Bill Self is probably going to get more out of you on that end, and he's going to require it on the defensive end. So maybe you could convince yourself he ends up being an above average or good defender in his role at KU, but coming in, the defense is more kind of average-ish for Primo Spears. All right, what about weaknesses for Primo Spears? Well, he he's used to being the star of the show, running a ton of isolation, running a ton of pick and roll. Sure, he'd run the occasional pick and roll at Kansas. Sure, he'd run the occasional isolation. Sure, he'd help you get a late shot clock. But can he be okay doing that stuff you know, less frequently and being in a different role than he was at Georgetown? That's going to be a key. Because if if he is too ball dominant, that's not going to work out when you're next to Dewan Harris and when you're you know not the the first, second, or third best player on the floor. So that's a real question. Was that a coaching thing at Georgetown? Was that a Primo Spears thing? I don't know. Uh, weakness was efficiency as well. He only shot forty percent from the floor. He only shot thirty percent from three point range, and that's back to back seasons too straight that he was at thirty percent. And I think to this notion, are the stats real? 
like the the counting stats, right? Because the efficiency was not very good. Are the counting stats of averaging 16 and 5, which does look really good, are those real numbers? Like, are you really that guy? Or is it just somebody had to put up numbers on a bad team, right? Somebody has to score. Somebody eventually is going to put up the numbers for every bad team. Georgetown was 219th in the country on Ken Palm. That was one spot behind Howard, which was KU's 16 seed. So which one is it? Now, I will say to counter this, Tad, let's say that his role at KU would be to come in and be a backup point guard, shooting guard type who plays 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes in a given game basically the Joe Yesifu role for this team, like a guy who can theoretically make open shots for you, create his own shot, be another ball handler for you, that Joe Yesifu role. Well, even as inefficient as Primo Spears was last season at Georgetown and in his first two years of college, those numbers were actually still a good amount more efficient than Joe Yesifu was last year for Kansas. Like Spears had almost double the PER and 2% better true shooting percentage in a tougher role to be in than what Joe was. So at the very least, if you view it as, well, he's an upgrade over Joe Yesifu, he's an, it upgrades your bench. That's one way of looking at it. But for him to be an upgrade or, or a boost to overall beyond just like a slight upgrade on the bench, the efficiency would need to go up. He's also not great in transition, 21st percentile. Um, Kansas likes to get out in transition, so that's something to keep a note on. And then the biggest weakness is... I guess, I don't know, efficiency would probably be the biggest one, but will he be eligible, right? We talked about that earlier. Will he have to sit out here? Will he be eligible? Because that could be the crux of whether KU would want him or not. Let's finish up with how he would fit in at Kansas in terms of the roster, what KU has at those guard positions, and the final verdict here for KU. All right, finishing things up. How would he fit at Kansas? So obviously he would be like behind slash next to Dewan. You look at Dewan Harris, he'd be your starting point guard. Uh, you look at the starting two position. At that point, if you brought on Primo Spears, it would be a competition most likely between Primo Spears, Nick Timberlake, and Marco Jackson. Maybe we even see three of those guards play together. You know, I, I brought up on yesterday's show that um, if you're going to play, like, you could kind of model yourself after that 2021 Baylor team. Now, I don't know that you'd have as much talent or as good at it, but the Baylor team had Mark Vital at the four, who wasn't a shooter. You had a non-shooting five-man with, like, Jonathan Chamwa Chachua and, um, Flo Thamba, like at the five position, or, or maybe it was somebody else. That, um, for them who weren't shooters, they were just dunkers, good defenders at the center position. Well, that'd be Kansas if you don't land Hunter Dickinson, right? It's Ernest Duda's. You'd be added for dunkers, good defenders, rebounders, shot blockers, stuff like that. KJ, not really a shooter at the four position. But if you have three guards around him, right? If you're starting Dewan and El Marco and Nicholas Timberlake, maybe you can make that work. So he would be trying to fit in in some role. I would assume he would probably be either the third or fourth guard. I would almost assume that he would be the fourth guard at that point. And if you are the fourth guard, if Kansas is going to play a lot of that way, you, like clearly you view it as, well, there's 80 minutes to go around at the one and two position, but maybe they would play 10 minutes with one of those guards at the three positions. So maybe you have 90 minutes to divvy out between four guys. Let's say Dewan gives you 35. Now you're down to having only 55 minutes left. Let's see how Marco gives you. I don't know, 22, let's say Nicholas Timberlake gives you 20. Now you're down to like 13 minutes. But again, that's kind of a Joe Yesifu role with what's left over. Um, but on beyond that, if El Marco is a one and done, then that leaves another guard option spot open for 2024. Nicholas Timberlake has one year left. That would leave another guard option spot open for 2024 to 25. So then maybe he's the fourth guard this year. But then in 24-25, Primo Spears becomes your second guard if he impresses enough to work his way into the starting lineup. 
So um, for that reason, because there is the long-term goal, I think the verdict for me, if he can get immediately eligible, if you feel comfortable with that, to me, he's not the top option, but I wouldn't be upset at all. I, you know, I went into this and and kind of assuming that eh, 40%, only 30% for three. I don't love it. Like for me, this would be a no take after doing more of the deep dive on this, after digging in a little bit more, he would be a take for me. Again, if you don't want to say he's the top option, I'm cool with that. Like there are probably other guys that you look to give in those scholarships. Maybe it is again, dependent on Kyle Cuff, like Kyle Cuff stays. Maybe this is a no take Kyle Cuff goes. Maybe it's definitely a take at that point, again, based on if he can be eligible. Um, because he could be a starter by year two, could be a nice bench piece this year to help upgrade your bench. I think those are certainly interesting things to keep an eye on if this visit ends up happening, and, and we'll see how it goes. All right, uh, coming up on tomorrow's show, maybe we'll do a, another deep dive, maybe on like Jalen Tyson or something like that. Uh, but that'll do it for this episode of Locked on Jayhawks. You can catch me later today, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday on a KLWN with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Don't forget you can find Locked on Jayhawks wherever you get any of your podcasts. You can hit me up on Twitter at D Johnson Radio, and you can find it on YouTube, like, and subscribe to the show. Have a good one. See you next time.